Hi, Jen Hernandez, Legacy Mutual Mortgage Loan with Jen. Welcome to another episode, whether you are listening in or watching us on YouTube. Today is a special treat. We are talking about construction loans. And I have an expert here with me, Michelle Garcia, is with Texas Partners Bank, who actually owns part of the company that I work for. And Michelle is like a 25-year mortgage veteran and the last six years michelle six years solid right you've been dealing with construction loans non-stop every single day of your working day whatever yeah. six years times 365 days is i can't even <laughs> eighteen thousand. michelle is going to give us the top few tips if you are building a home your construction custom from beginning to end she's going to give you tips on what to do to have a very successful experience. So Michelle, you ready to get started? Welcome to the Loan with Jen podcast, your weekly source to keep you informed on everything about financing your home, where you will hear real facts, no BS. I'm your host, Jennifer Hernandez, a loan officer since 1995 and over 4,300 families financed to date. If you're starting to think about buying or refinancing a home, wonder if you have the right credit, savings, or even income, you're in the right place. On my weekly episodes, I make complicated topics easy to understand. By the way, my license is NMLS 514497. The ideas expressed here are my own opinions and don't represent any legal advice. Thanks for joining, let's jump in. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, I've been really, we've been planning this, I know, for a couple of months, trying to get our calendars together. Y'all's knowledge is really great. And I just think for the consumer to have a behind the scenes, I wanted to have you, someone behind the scenes on super fluffy. And, you know, I wanted to have like someone behind the scenes who really deals with the nuts and the bolts of construction. I'm probably ready to learn a few things myself. Like I said, everything is cup is half full in my book, but construction can be really a very smooth process. And of what percent of your construction loans would you say goes super totally smooth with like no hiccups at all, if you had to guess? Right now in this environment, zero. Right Absolutely now. None. Zero. <laughs> there are delays across the board right now. But in the past, I mean, there's always going to be something that you have to contend with, whether it be weather, over costs running over a little bit. But for the most part, they can go pretty smooth so long as you and your lender are communicating well and your builder is on board with the policies yeah. that need to be followed. You know, I think that's really important. And I think that that dream team of just when you are choosing a lender, because there's lots of construction lenders out there. So Michelle and I have agreed before we got on that we're going to talk just globally about just construction in general. That's the goal here is that we want you to have the idea of what to expect. How does this process even work? There are different banks, basically where the big differences are, Michelle, usually is like down payment. The nuts and bolts pretty work much work the same, but one bank may require 15% minimum and one may require 20, 25. Exactly. Is, right? Okay, yes. cool. So I think where we should start is from the very beginning. We're going to start it with the land because construction, and by the way, the land could be an empty lot or it could be a house 
that needs total, total rehab. Okay. So the acquisition of the property, and, and by the way, as you keep listening, we're talking about doing a specialized custom construction. We're not talking about built buying from a track builder, you know, one of the big national builders where they build the house and then you buy it when they're done. We're not talking about that. We're talking about you acquire the land or the property in some form or fashion, and then the construction loan is in your name. That's what we're talking about here. So Michelle, what are the different ways that people could acquire a property? What are the different things that you see as far as land, no land? Land, you know, house on it. What just let's talk about that. Well, when it comes to construction financing, the three situations I see the most is that either somebody is purchasing a developed lot to build their house on, in addition to including the financing, it's all going to be done in one transaction. A lot of what happens too is that if somebody already owns their lot free and clear, they have their equity in their land and they're going to now build their house. So the construction loan is for the construction only of the new resident. And I've also seen where somebody has been living in a house that's on a lot and they want to tear it down completely similar to what you were just referring to they want to tear it down completely and build a whole new house on it so there may already be a mortgage in place for the house that they were living in and now they're converting everything into a construction loan so there's a lot of different scenarios that can happen when you're going in to build a house yeah i think that sums it up yeah there's really only three ways you either purchase the empty lot (laughs) right and you can pay either cash or finance a part of it when they do, let's say that they're buying a lot. Let's just start right there. Let's say mm-hmm. I've, I've identified land and I need to finance it. I don't have cash to pay the whole thing. Is it normally do most institutions, most banks require 25, 30% down or, or would they do 20? If you're looking, yes, strictly at a lot loan or financing for the lot first ahead of the construction loan, anywhere between 20 to 30% down is what most lenders are going to look mm-hmm. at doing that financing for the purchase. And, and actually, this is a question I really am curious about. I know that a lot of banks and ours included will do the lot loan as long as we know the construction is like super near a few months behind it. Why is there such a difference? Like not a lot of banks, lot loans are hard to do. Like if you have just raw land, like, oh, I'm going to buy raw land and I'm going to sit on it for two years and figure out later what I'm going to do with it. Why do banks not like that? There's a little bit more risk involved when you have, it's really considered investment property. You're not, it's not a homestead. You're not living on it. You're not using it to live in essentially an investment piece of property. And there's a little higher risk involved there, especially if you don't have any immediate plans to do anything with it. And so the last thing, you know, a lender doesn't really want to keep those on their books for a long period of time. We want to see them convert into a construction loan and then eventually a mortgage loan and keep it moving. So there's more utility on a property if it's got a structure on it is bottom line. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. Let's say that someone buys a lot, they can put 20% down. Let's say they're like, yep, I've already identified. I've got a couple builders in tow. We're just going to finalize what builder, but we need to acquire this property from Mr. Seller. And we don't have, we don't know which builder yet. So we want to get the seller out of the way because he's hot to sell this property. We're going to put 20% down and, you know, within three, four months, we should get this all wrapped up to where we can do the second closing, which is on a, a, do our construction loan. Is that, that's number one, right? Right. Okay. And number two is they could just pay cash. They could say, oh, I got 300,000 to buy that Mm -hmm. piece of 
land. I'm just going to pay cash. Does that right. later go towards their down payment? Like that money that they put in, will they later get credit for that money? Absolutely. Their equity already placed into the purchase of the land or the lot itself will go towards the loan to value requirement that they established for the construction financing. Okay, perfect. That's piece of land. And so then the other one is you have somewhere, let's say I've lived there for 10 years. I'm going to do a major remodel, whether I scrap the house or tear down walls or whatever I'm going to do. I already owe the land. My equity is going to be the difference between my loan that I have now and then what it's valued at, right? Correct. And so most lenders will take that into consideration too and apply that towards the equity that you need to put a construction finance. Okay. Yeah. So if, if the bank's requirements is that the construction loan is an 80 loan to value, that means you need 20% equity, either in yes. the value that's already there, the spread between your loan and what it's worth. Really that's how you create the equity. Now, I do have a question. How long does someone have to own the property before we'll use a higher appraised value? Like, let's say that I bought this lot for 300, but the value really at the time that I bought it, I, I got a good deal and I'm like, ooh, I'm getting a steal on this lot. It's 300,000, but the value is really like 375. Can I get that extra 75,000 and like my equity is more because I can use that higher appraised value that the lot's really worth more that I'm buying it for? Are you talking about with regard in the construction financing? Yeah, like later on when it goes okay. towards, hey, how much down payment do I have? Do I have yes. my 20% equity, down payment, equity, whatever? Mm -hmm. Can I, and let's say I just bought the lot, like I just bought it. Can I use that extra 75,000 between the good deal that I got with the seller and the, what the appraised value is? I bought an under market property. Yes, because the appraisal that the lender is going to receive is going to be based on the current value of the lot plus the improvements that the plans and specs reflect will be built on that lot. So total value which includes today's value of, of your land. Okay, so even I've just bought it and I haven't lived there a while, like sometimes there are some institutions that require a seasoning, but like, hey, for us to count that higher value of the lot over what you bought it for, you have to have owned it for a year. Do y'all have anything like that? We do not have a time owned requirement, no, if you're going oh, to roll cool. it into construction. Bonus. I just yeah. learned that. That's nice. We don't. Well, that's us. So that's one that I guess I want everyone to understand is that's actually super green light. I'm actually doing cartwheels in my head right now. This is like, <laughs> that was a good answer. There are a lot of banks out there where for them to do this higher value, if you've owned less than 12 months, the lot, they're going to use your acquisition cost as the basis. So the 300 for the basis of the value of the lot, not the 375, but you haven't owned it long enough. So that's that's an important factor for right now, for just example's sake, we're just throughout mm -hmm. this conversation, we're gonna use 300,000. You acquired the lot for 300 and that's what it's worth, okay? So let's say we acquired it for 300,000. Let's say we put our 20% down payment, which is 60. We finance then to 40. Right. So we finance to 40. So that loan that we did, like let's say we closed today and I don't have my plans and specs ready. I mean, by the way, when you do what's called a one-time close, you have to have everything ready Tell us about that, Michelle. Tell us about the two types of closes there there are in construction. This is a good time to interject that. Okay. You have a two-time close versus a one-time close. 
a two-time close, you're going to close your construction financing, which is the monies just to build the house, into a short-term construction loan, usually 12 months or less. At one-time close, your construction financing period is built into your permanent mortgage for the life of the loan. For your long-term mortgage, whether it be 15 or 30 years, you're going to have a 12-month construction period where you can draw down on a line for those first 12 months, and then whatever the balance of that construction loan is will automatically convert into permanent financing at the end of those 12 months and now you have your permanent mortgage you don't have to go back to the bank or a title company and reclose another loan there's advantages and disadvantages to both it really depends on the rate environment that you're in usually so or what your future plans are if you don't plan on carrying financing on it for a long period of time you're gonna sell the current house that you're living in and use that to pay off the construction line I've seen that happen a lot as well it really just comes down to on what your personal needs are and then usually what the rate environment that we're in yeah so we'll talk at threading through as we get farther in, we will talk about that. I think what I want listeners or, or viewers to, to know first off is that even when you're doing, let's say this one-time close, which really has to do with the construction loan and then what happens after construction, that pre-construction loan part, it's very difficult to find a piece of property where you can buy the lot, have all the builder set and the plans and the specs and everything all in this beautiful package with a bow on it right at the same time to avoid this extra closing. I mean, it's very, very difficult. Right. What we usually see is that somebody already owns their lot by the time yeah. they're ready to do construction finance. I maybe can count on my hand how many times I've seen someone buy a lot and do the construction financing all in one transaction. Because yeah, it's it's almost yeah. impossible. That's how rare right. it is. So if you are acquiring the lot from scratch, expect that you're gonna have that closing and the cost of that closing. And then you're gonna have another closing where you've got, okay, plans and specs. So let's talk about that. So you, you have the lot, whether you own it already or you're about to buy it. Let's say you, you're there, you bought it or you own it, whatever, you've got the lot. So the next phase is? Yeah, usually someone will start engaging different contractors, different home builders and their architects, the architects that they use to come up with plans and specs for the home that they're going to build. Mm -hmm. And once they have finalized those plans with an architect, create and draft up a contract with a builder and come up with a time frame, a cost to build this beautiful home. And then you can go to your lender and say, okay, I'm ready. I have plans and specs and we're ready to go. And there. that timeline, I mean, really, I've seen architects take months and months and months and I've seen them go really quick because the builder has a connection with an architect and they already have right. like three, four, five baseline plans and you choose from one. Or if you're right. doing it, the ones that take the longest, I would assume, are the ones like super from scratch. Like what's the longest you've seen specs like an architectural drawings take? Like just for fun, I want to ask you that question. I've seen it take up to a year. Yeah. That must be longer. super custom. Yeah, if it's right. super, super That's custom. That's because, the, yes, they're customizing every bit of those plans. They didn't start with a baseline. They really did truly custom build or custom design the house that they want to live in. But like you said, most of them have a baseline that they start with and then they make adjustments to it based on their personal one from there. I've seen it take anywhere from a month to a year or even a little bit longer. It yeah. Just, yeah. And by the way, there's no right or wrong answer. Like right. it is what it is. And that's the beauty of doing 
construction from scratch and custom build is that you get exactly what you want. The timeline really where the construction lender can't come in yet is until you've chosen that builder and you've gotten plans and specs, we can't do an appraisal. We can't finish the process. So let's talk about the builder approval because that's really important. So let's say you've done all this research, you're the buyer, you're the financer and you've chosen this builder, well, now you have to make sure that the builder is approved by the bank. So just let's talk about that and what's kind of required and why do you go through all those? Like, why would would the buyer even care what happens with the builder? I, of course, know the answer to this, but I... (laughs) We're trying to simplify this. <laughs> sure. Well, and what a lot of customers or borrowers don't realize is that their borrower or their builder does have to go through some kind of, usually some kind of vetting process or review process with the lender. And the reason for that is because the lender is going to be taking the money you're borrowing, that this borrower is borrowing and handing it to them throughout the bill. And we yeah. want to make sure that we're looking at a company that is experiencing any kind of financial strain, they're reputable, you know, where we want to mitigate or lower as much risk as possible in getting involved with a builder who may not be experienced or who might be experiencing some kind of financial hardship. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, we're handing them the borrower's money and we want to make sure they're going to use it appropriately. I have had this happen before. I'm going to make everybody listen to this quick story. This was like 20 years ago and I was a young loan officer at the time. I think it was in like my fifth or sixth year. So I didn't have that, I mean, really that much experience. And this was like this $2 million house. The, the price of the house doesn't matter, but it's just the perception, right? Like, oh, it's, it's you know, everyone has money. The buyer was super qualified. It was this doctor, chose this builder. The builder, middle of the project was nowhere to be found. Turns out after everyone's, of course, looking at him because there were liens that started to show up on this property like contractors were filing liens like where is our money so of course the bank that we were using at the time looked into it all he had been skimming little by little off the draws money and he probably got away with about two or three hundred thousand dollars so no one could find this guy forever until it's a long story how they found him, but they found him in Hawaii. He had escaped. <laughs> he was under a lot of stress and it, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. He escaped and started like some dune buggy business on the beaches of Hawaii. Literally, this is, I could not make this up. Like, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. But I just remember the chaos that had to be unraveled and the buyer ended up paying for all these extra you know, liens to be satisfied and had to get a whole new builder in there. I mean, it was a complete mess. So that's why a lot of these checks and balances are in place because it does happen. So checking out the builder and making sure that they're sound, it's really super, super important. And so it's done to protect you, the buyer. And so the bank is going to do as much diligence as they can. Michelle, what's normally kind of bottom line required? What are we going to require of the builder when we do that that process? We really just want to understand how the contractor or the builder is structured. We want to know who the principals are, who owns the majority of the business. They don't need to be large scale companies. We prefer that they be larger and, you know, 
reputable, of course, but there's a lot of smaller builders that we've also added to our acceptance list where, you know, we were able to verify that the principal owner of the company was in good shape. There weren't any credit issues. There weren't any, you know, background issues that we had to worry about. Mostly we're making sure that there's some financial soundness in their financials. There isn't any kind of high risk criminal activity in the principal owner's background. And that's really it. We do their credit. Yes. If it's a smaller builder where, and they're newer to the game, we'll ask if we can run their credit. And usually if there's no issues, they don't have any, any problem with that. Yeah. But it it really just depends on the size and scale too of the builder. And you call references, right? Don't y'all call like happy homeowners that they've dealt with before to try and trades. Don't y'all call some of the trades of the subs that they've been using? Yes. We'll ask for a few credit references and then some supplier references to some of their vendors. And we'll make calls just to make sure that there isn't anything out there that we should be aware of, that they're not delinquent on any kind of, they're always going to run a little behind on invoices, but you know, we, yeah. we want to make sure there's nothing six months or older that they're they're waiting to get paid on. So, because that could be a red flag. So the builder gets approved. Let's say you do that diligence. The builder gets approved. The plans and the specs. The plans are the the drawings, right? Where you see all those are the architect drawings and specs right. is short for specifications. Mm-hmm. That's where the builder has gone in and said, okay, to build this house, and those things are like 10, 12 pages long or more. Like it's exactly line by line. And it's really exactly what they're charging you to see. Mm -hmm. Like, and y'all look at those things. I'm imagining you've seen some where it's like, are you serious right now to do electrical? It's going to cost more than what you're putting. Like you're getting the best friend discount. There's no way. Right. So I've seen balances. Yes, we do. We look more overall and see what by square footage, how much a project's going to cost and to make sure it's kind of in line with what's out there in the market right now. They're not undershooting it too much. And also that not some kind of outrageous number where we're going to have trouble getting value. Yeah. And I think it's important if you could answer the question, someone might be thinking right now, well, I've got a friend and he's going to be my builder. I'm really going to be directing and orchestrating behind the scenes, but I've got this shell builder, right? And I'm going to get my house built at cost. So why does that even matter as to why should the bank even care that I'm building for 150 a square foot, but the market is 180 a square foot but i'm getting this sweetheart deal why does that even matter to y'all well i mean it goes towards the overall value of the home too if the appraiser sees what the actual cost is they're going to assess value based on what we provide them and so you may be getting an an ultra great deal on it but we still want to see what true value is going to look like once this house is built regardless of what kind of friend discount you got in the build so and i would also think the bank would be worried because let's say the builder skips out halfway through to go start his doom buggy business on the beach like literally (laughs) let's say your builder skips town and Mm -hmm. now y'all are stuck with a 50 percent complete property that you have to go in and finish you're not going to get the sweetheart 150 a square foot y'all are going to have to pay the 180 a square foot so when the average market is so far-fetched from the reality it means that the contract is under you've been approved for a certain amount as a buyer to be able to pay the bill of what's 
happening during construction because they get billed every 30 days on the amount that's been drawn, correct? Is that right. what happens? If this project comes in short and they approve you to build on this $300,000 lot, was our example from the beginning, let's say it's an $800,000 construction, but really it's nine fifty because you right. got it, you underbid it because you got the sweetheart deal. And then the bank has to come in 50% of the way through because the builder went belly up for whatever reason. Y'all have a huge problem on your hands to suffice that gap on building it, right? So, I mean, it could be really complicated. Yes, it can get messy. We also, in addition to builder acceptance where we're reviewing the builder, we're also looking individually at each project as we approve the loan. When we do have instances like that, we're really relying to, you know, because something like that does happen a lot. They have a, a relationship with this builder or with some subs and they know they're going to get some things that cost where we look to mitigate that is the underwriting of the borrower themselves. So if they have good amount of liquidity reserves or, you know, they have other mitigating factors like a low loan to value, debt to income ratios are pretty low where we feel they're not going to have an issue if they have to come in and pay out of pocket for some of these things that might come in over budget. Mm -hmm. We'll make those exceptions. I mean, there's a lot. It goes hand in hand with some of the underwriting of the borrower. So basically the builders approved the construction. Let's say it's 800,000 is approved. We close on the construction loan. And then as money is drawn, you, the borrower, are getting billed for whatever the balance, you know, let's say the builder takes 50,000 and then he takes 75 and then he, and he'll make a request to y'all after he's done the work. Is that right? Like you want them to do the work and then they submit the request to say, hey, I need to be reimbursed for all these things that we just did right? Yes. We fund draws based on completion. So when we, a builder comes to us and submits a draw request, we'll send out a third party inspector to make sure the work has been completed. If it has, we release those funds, no problem. If it hasn't, then there's conversations with both the builder and the customer to see where we're lacking and how we're going to fund that draw. Yeah. Awesome. Let's say everything is going towards the end and it's finished. That's where if you did a one-time close, everything is wrapped. You just modify that. You just stop paying interest only and you start amortizing to however many, if it took you a year to build, now you have 29 years left and you go on your way and it just modifies the remaining term on principle. And then if not, and you did that two-time close, You'll finish the construction and then your permanent lender, whoever the lender is for your 30 year fixed loan, will refinance that construction loan. They'll, we'll go in and we'll pay it off. We'll pay out the 800,000. And this is the benefit where she was talking about of the two time close because you can make changes. If you're a one-time close, it's ironclad. There can be no changes at all. That's actually downside, right? Of a one-time right. close. But if you do a two-time close, it's like, oh yeah, I've sold my house. I got another 400K. I'm going to put it towards the $800,000 loan. Now I only want to finance 400. So you can make modifications and then we'll just refi the 400. You'll put that extra down payment and we'll, everybody will be on their way. You'll get into your permanent loan. With our one-time close, just a feature of our one-time close, you actually can make that larger principal reduction before the line rolls over. Oh, nice. Still have your payments based on the lower principal balance. If you do oh, that's cool. have some kind of liquidity event where you sell a house and you want to pay more down. Well, and that's a feature you need to check out if you are doing a one-time close. That's a question you need to ask whoever the bank is because not every bank is that way. That's good to know. You're <laughs> you're training me on our one-time close program <laughs> here at Legacy. We're about to roll it out with y'all. So we haven't done that one yet. So that's awesome. I'm getting trained at the same time that we're educating everybody else. At the end of the process, you either modify to that 
permanent loan or you refinance into the permanent loan, one or the other. So if you had to put it all in a package and give borrowers the top things to do to make sure that everything goes smooth, what would that advice be? First and foremost, my biggest suggestion, and this is from what I've seen, especially this last year, is to budget time-wise and financially, budget for contingency for the unexpected. Your budget is going to change and you may have something that, that ends up costing you less than you expected and some things that ends up costing you more. Just be prepared for those changes and how you want to deal with them. Time-wise, it's very rare that I see a build finish exactly within the 12 months lately. So just plan for things to possibly go over those 12 months. Yeah. And that can be hard for borrowers sometimes, but because they're anxious to get into their new home, but but it happens and, and don't feel like it's just you. This goes back to the whole reason that we go through a builder acceptance or a builder approval process. Know your builder. Choose somebody who's reputable. I know it's easy sometimes to go with a builder that's going to cost you a lot less because they have lower overhead or they have lower oversight of the project itself or they're kind of letting you manage some things. Just keep in mind that there's more risk involved that way though too and you don't want to be paying for those things down the road even though you may feel like you're saving them up front you will pay for them down the road. And then last communication is key. I stress highly to my borrowers all the time if something doesn't look right or if you have a question about something or if something you feel isn't going right with your build, raise your hand, tell your lender, get in touch with your builder. Don't let things for the sake That's of being nice. Yes. Because we'll find out right. anyway. <laughs> we will. We will find so you out. You might as well just let us know. Yeah. And if you have any doubt about them. anything. Yeah, it's harder to fix them. I mean, we're always an advocate for our borrowers. We want to make sure the right thing's being done for them. It's just harder to fix those problems the longer they've been going on. So if you spot something yeah. that doesn't look right, get your lender on the phone and tell them right away so that they can advocate for you and get them fixed. Yeah, I mean, that goes along to just trusting your instinct. Like if the buyers, let's face the borrowers, they're visiting the property, they're checking things out and we're not checking it out every day. So like if you see that something looks suspicious, and you're having doubts about your builder. Again, just like Michelle said, your lender is your advocate. We're here to help you because we have a vested interest in the builder finishing so he doesn't go take off and you know do something weird. So you know, do, do communicate with them because you're gonna have one point of contact in that construction loan department and they are your friend. Like they are your friend to help you work through issues with your builder as well, as much as they can. So, well, that sounds great, Michelle. Well, I appreciate it. I know there's a lot of in-betweens we probably didn't cover. I just don't want people's head to explode. So if you have actually, let me hear questions. So comment, like this, ask me questions, contact information. We'll put my contact info also in the description so you can reach out to me. Construction is actually, I think it's super fun. There's so many dynamics. And I think that, you know, again, Michelle, you mentioned it. I think everyone naturally wants to take shortcuts because no one wants to overpay, right? But that you got to right. be careful because the beautiful house that you've dreamed of, you can't really take shortcuts on that. You got to be careful. So we're all here to help you make that happen. So thank you for joining us today. I really thank appreciate you. all your expertise. And yeah, uh, thank you for having me. we'll catch everybody the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Loan with Jen podcast. Keep joining me each week to stay up to date on the mortgage industry 
as I'll dive into relevant topics so your home financing process, whether you're buying or refinancing, is smooth and simple. If you enjoyed today, please click follow, and that way you'll never miss an episode. To find us on social media, just go to Loan with Jen on any of the social media handles, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in this week for Real Facts, No BS. Talk soon. Mm-hmm.